Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participant's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh, Stomping Jen. Episode, oops, you're muted. Um, Thanks a lot. Episode 98. Can you believe it? Can't believe it. Oh my God. It seems like it was only yesterday that we were here recording episode 97. Huh. How time flies. Hmm. But it also seems like no time passes at all. That's right, because we're in COVID times. Yep. Anyways, I'm really excited for our guest this evening. Okay. Yeah, we're tell talking. Us about it. We are, talking, are we talking to? to Juan Manuel Ruiz Howe. He is an academic. He works for a financial services company in the adult learning space. So he's an expert in adult learning. And he just recently went through an ordeal I think people are going to find really interesting. He had a kidney transplant. Wow. And we're going to hear about his story. Are you ready? I am. Okay, so we're going to play the intro music. And on the other side, we are going to meet this interesting individual. Great. Okay? Awesome. I'm excited. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Oh, Stomping Jen. <laughs> Episode 98. And I didn't introduce myself. I am Sawtooth Frank, and this is the Soft Serve Podcast. Welcome. Where, where you don't need a, an introduction. Don't need an introduction. No introduction needed. Yeah. Only well, creepy trucks. Yeah, we talked about... Our guest, before we played the intro music, his name is Juan Manuel Ruiz Howe. Hi, Juan. Ma? Hi, good evening. Thank you for coming on. I've been looking forward to talking to you about your experience with getting a kidney transplant. How are you doing? I'm doing super well. Um, I'm very excited to be uh, featured on the Soft Serve podcast, and I've been listening to your to your podcast over the last couple of weeks, and I'm very, very excited and honored to be here to share my story. Well, thank you. Um, you've upped our game yeah. when it comes to featured guests, so we are honored to have you here. Um, what now? I I listed some of your um, credentials and. Um, who you are. Is there anything else I missed? Anything else you want to say about yourself? This is your opportunity to introduce yourself. Sure. Um, uh, again, my, my, my name is Juan Manuel Ruiz Howe, although you butchered my name. That's all right. Um, <laughs> I go by, by Juanma. Um, I uh, was born and raised in um, San Juan, Puerto Rico, just, well, just outside the, in the suburbs of San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is, as all your listeners know, is the capital of Puerto Rico, 
Um, and Puerto Rico is in the Caribbean. So I'm someone from the tropics living in New England. Why? That's a long, complicated story for another podcast. Um, you did mention I am an academic by training. So I'm someone who am, I'm uh, finishing my doctorate in higher education um, administration and leadership. And I work for a financial services company in Western Mass. So, um, and I'm here to chat a little bit about my experience with kidney disease more broadly and more specifically about my more recent experience with um, kidney transplantation. Yeah, and thank you for taking time to talk to us about this, which I'm sure is a really personal situation. So um, thanks for being here. Uh, what I'd like to know is, you know, kind of starting at the beginning, why did you end up needing to have a kidney transplant procedure? Well, if we're really starting at the beginning, we'll have to go all the way to, I would say, late 90s. Um, at that point, we, um, and by we, I mean my family, my sort of my, my uh, nuclear family. It consists of my, my late mother, my father, and my older brother. Um, we all discovered that together that um, kidney disease was running rampant in our family. Uh, it's a hereditary condition in our case. Um, my mother was stricken with kidney disease. Um, gosh, when was that? It was six years before 2012. So maybe not mid-90s, but uh, 2012, let's say 2006, uh, she finally got to end stage renal disease. So yeah, so end end of the end of nineties, early two thousands. Um, in her process of discovering her own, uh, going through her own journey with kidney disease, um, prior to ends what's called end stage um, renal disease or or kidney failure, um, we discovered that she was on the decline in terms of function for her kidneys. We also discovered that my older brother was showing signs of um, function, function decline. And I had sort of an elevated blood pressure. So that was kind of an indicator of a future state of kidney, potential kidney disease. disease. Um, my mother's father passed from kidney disease as well. And her sister um, has polycystic kidney disease. So this is run in the family um, uh, I've got a cousin, so her sister's eldest son also has kidney disease. So it, it really runs in our family from my mother's side. Mm. Um, and I learned, I was a beneficiary of that in learning in my late 20s that I had kidney disease. And I was able to sort of manage that uh, leading up to my kidney failure in June of last year. So I've been living with this for about 20 years. I'm 44 now. Okay. Um, so that's, that's really the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about this um, hereditary condition you mentioned, polycystic kidney disease, and just what, what, that, what that is and what it does to the kidney? And maybe even tell our listeners what the kidney does. I don't, some people may not know. Yeah. So in terms of physiology, your body has two kidneys. They are located in the, let's say, if you think about your, um, your rib cage, Right, they are sort of tucked into the back of the in the, the back of the rib cage, sort of in front of the spine. And what they do is they are connected to some enormous 
um, arteries and veins are heav heavily vascularized, which means that blood is pumping through them constantly. Um, and they are designed to filter the blood of um, certain impurities in partnership with the liver. Um, but the kidney really is, is responsible for getting rid of some key proteins in the, in the, in the blood that can really cause havoc to, the, to your entire system. And ultimately, what happens with someone with kidney disease is that that function starts to decline over time. Um, how much time depends on your size, weight, genetics, all that stuff, and ultimately leads to end-stage renal disease, which means that your kidneys can no longer filter out your blood. Mm. Um, and at that point, you have um, you start to build up toxins in your in your muscles and in your in your organs that could lead to um, other issues. So for example, heart failure, um, uh, your organs can start to shut down. It, it, it's a it's a disaster. Yep. And um, in, in polycystic disease, if I'm thinking about the words and what they mean is your maybe your kidneys get filled with cysts or something like that and they can't function is that yeah is that so right? yeah so in the case of my aunt this is not the condition that i have but in the case of my aunt you um the kidney is this like is um you know bean shaped kidney bean shaped right yeah and so it's usually um a deep deep red um because of all the blood in it and second it's smooth on the exterior um if you've ever you know, eaten, you know, liver, or if you've seen the, uh, what are those called when you take out a whole chicken and you pull out the, the gizzards of like the insides? I thought, I thought you, I thought you were describing stomping Jen smooth on the exterior. Oh <laughs> I think you're no. talking about organ meats is what people are usually familiar with. I see. So organ right. meats, like they're smooth on the outside. Yeah. Well, what, what happens with someone with polycystic kidney disease is that the you you have these growths in the in the kidney that that are these cysts of you know pockets of blood that can no longer um, continue to filter the the blood and polycystic means that you have you know from tens to hundreds of these small cysts throughout the the organ mm. which then causes it to fail. But that's not what. The, your underlying condition was no what's okay. curious about my condition is that you know my brother got genetically tested for something mm -hmm. and his is like uromodulin you are uromodulin something kidney disease which is there's these structures in the kidney that over time can no longer filter the blood and whatever but then you don't really have these cysts yeah um, and we suspect that i have the same thing okay um because i don't I don't have cysts in my kidney, but the kidney can nevertheless no longer, well, the both kidneys that I have um, could, could no longer um, filter the blood. Okay. So in terms of um, treatment, whether it's polycystic or something more less known, like my condition, regardless of the condition, it all leads to, to transplantation. Yeah. There's no reversal of that. Now, think, thinking about you kind of walking around, engaging in um, everyday activities of life, like, and and knowing that you had the knowledge that you had this hereditary condition, like, kind of like physically, like, when did you when did you start 
to know that, you know, your kidney function was beginning to, to decline? Like, what did you begin to experience physically? So my, um, I only realized this after transplantation, um, but um, there's a persistent le- lethargy, uh, if that's how you pronounce it. You're, you're lethargic. I think that's good. Consistently, I'm gonna all give the you, time. I'm going to give you, a, you a chime for correct pronunciation. Thank you. Yep. Um, you feel lethargic constantly. And it's not just like tired. It's like your brain is foggy. It's difficult to concentrate. It's difficult to follow through on simple tasks. Um, and I just attributed that to like, I don't know, ADHD or whatever it may have been. Um, and remember, I've, I've known about this for, for 20 plus years. So I've been living with that and it's been so gradual that I can't tell you when that started. Yeah. You know, it's just been gradual declines at some point, you know, and, and at the same time I'm working full time, I'm mm-hmm. having kids, I'm raising kids, I've got, you know, pets and, you know, uh, you know, moving from one city to the next and then buying a house and, doing all the things that, 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 that grownups tend to do, um, studying from my doctorate, um, all that stuff. And all the while sort of compensating for that in, in other ways. Yeah. So making lists, creating duplicate systems for my car keys that I would lose, um, not remembering where I had, you know, not just like, Every day, you know, not just like in the ebb and flow of the week that you lose your car keys once in a while. This was like an everyday occurrence, yep. a constant occurrence. A stomping Jen, um, is it, is, I'm sorry to interrupt, um, Juanma. <laughs> is stomping Jen, is there something you want to say? You're, I, la- you're I will, laughing, I would, and I don't, I don't think this is funny. It is not funny, and I do not make light of your of what you went through. <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking this is every day. <laughs> Sawtooth Frank. <laughs> well, you know, I. Where's it, my this? Where's my that? What did I do with this? What? I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm. I don't. I think um, um, Juanma and I are of the same age range. Yes. You know. So no, yes. no, you're definitely he's, older. He's going to yeah. go out right now and get tested. Um, so, yeah. so, what? But, yeah, but that. Before, I mean, that sounds before physical. Yeah. Um, before physical symptoms really popped up, it was my body chemistry, uh, because knowing that I, you have this disease, you or this condition. Um, you, you get te- blood tested almost constantly, right? So it goes from like uh, every year to every like six months to every three months to every month and a half as you go on the decline. And what you're testing for is um, your creatinine levels in your blood, which is a particular... That's I a type think. of protein. Yeah. It is a type yep. of protein. And um, that's the protein that the kidneys really um, filter out. And it's produced... Um, the level, your level of creatinine is, um, is, is dependent on your muscle mass. Um, and so being a guy who's six, five, you know, 250 pounds, I had a lot of creatinine in my, in my system over time. Um, and that then builds up. Um, and so the, the leading up to my episode in June of last year, um, I started to feel more and more lethargic. Um, started to not be able to like stay awake um, and, you know, just starting to shut down. Um, and that's, that's finally when we went and started the process for transplantation. 
And on the first day that we went in for a four hour um, meeting with multiple, um, you know, doctors and nurses and specialists in uh, in a Boston hospital, they they took my blood at the beginning of the of the of the afternoon, and by the end of the afternoon, they 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 made me stay in the emergency room because my uh, uh, my GFR, which is another measure measure of your kidney function, was at a nine. Globular. Um, I let me define that. It's called a globular filtration rate. No, yeah. glo- no, glomular filtration rate. Sorry. Right. Um, so my GFR was at a nine, um, and anything less than twenty is considered. Um, uh, kidney failure. Jeez, I'm curious. At any point along the 22 years that um, you knew you <clears throat> had this condition, were there checkpoints along the way where physicians said to you, "You have, you know, X number of years left on your kidneys"? Like, were I'm curious if if it was like a ticking clock along that journey that you were working against or knew you were working against. So to your first point, um, no, it wasn't a, there wasn't a definitive amount of time that they would say, you know, you've got five years, you've got three years. Okay. Because at any time, my kidneys could just bail out. Um, If I got sick enough from the flu, Mm -hmm. if I got a bad cold and got dehydrated, um, you know, my kidneys could fail at any time. So, but to your second point, it has always been a ticking time bomb yeah. in my life. And how does that feel kind of walking around with that hanging over you? Well, there at first it's scary. At first it's something that, you know, you have to come to terms with, you know, cause, cause um, you know that all roads end in dialysis. So before transplantation, um, the only treatment that you can get for, um, renal failure is a process of called dialysis. Uh, now there's, it, I can get into what dialysis is yeah. in a minute. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about that. And one of the things I wanted to know, was there any other types of um, non-surgical treatments like um, medicines that they can give you? No. Okay. Mm-mm. Nope. Right. There, there are certain um, for kidney failure. No, there's, there's a, fa- there's a famous, um, uh, what's that Star Trek movie where they bring the whales? <laughs> oh, Star Trek Four. The um, no, was the quest- it Search? For- was no Search for Spock is number two. Yeah. Uh, number three. Star Trek Four is let's find number three is let's find Spock. Number four <laughs> is um, it's like we lost Spock again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where the hell is Spock? Uh, I forget, but it's the one with the whales. Yeah. What happens in that? That one. Yeah. That. That, that they're, they're doing something in a hospital and McCoy is walking by this old lady in a wheelchair and he asks her what's wrong. And he, she says, well, I'm going on dialysis. And he says, dialysis, what kind of, you know, what kind of place is this? And he gives, a, gives her a couple of pills and that like cures her completely. So no, there's no, there's no like magical cure for, um, for kidney failure. There is simply replacing the your organ with a machine will do a somewhat comparable job although yeah. not the same now we've known each other for 10 years or so and i i feel like i remember along this journey that you got a surgery at some point i did um, can um, you tell us about that and what that was designed to do yeah so in 2012 i woke up on a friday morning 
and I'll get graphic for you, for your users, yeah. for your viewers or, or listeners. Um, I woke up on a Friday morning and as people tend to do, you wake up and you go pee. Did you pee uh, out or, your kidney? No, I started bleeding almost immediately through okay. my, through my urine, through my, you know, through, through penis. Places that, you can say penis through, on this podcast. Through my area that shouldn't be bleeding. Yes. Right. Uh, and so I got freaked out. Um, and, um, you know, I wasn't going to, as, as much as I respect, uh, medicine, you know, the you know, hospitals in Western mass, uh, I, I'm not about to go to a generalist facility when I have access to, you know, one of the best doctors in, in, on, on, on the face of the earth in yeah. this particular field. Um, and that's not an overstatement. I just ha- happen to, my nephrologist just happens to be like one of those people. Um, and so um, I start bleeding. I immediately leave for this Boston area hospital. Um, they bring me in. I forget what happened over the weekend, but we, I think I went in for observation. Mm-hmm. My, my nephrologist wanted me not because and I, I guess I'm quoting him at the time, not because I'm necessarily sick, but he was able to more quickly, uh, because of his position at this particular hospital, he was um, able to more quickly order tests and results and you know all that stuff. So I went there, spent a few days in the hospital, and basically you know didn't come home. They I had a surgeries. It, they, I was, uh, you know, I was bleeding. Um, then they did a, what is it called when you, when you get a piece of the organ out? Biopsy. They did a biopsy through my back and that like, that made it worse. So now instead of just uh, voiding, which is another word for peeing, instead of voiding um, like diluted blood, you yeah. know, with blood that's now I'm voiding just straight up blood. Jesus. Yeah, and 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 blood is is um, because the the um, is it the urethra? Uh, yes. Yep. Because the urethra is not designed to ma- to handle blood, yeah. blood can be very abrasive because oh, of a. Is it like getting soap in the tip of your penis? No, it's like having a. It's like. Because um, that's uh, the worst. Like shoving a Q-tip in your penis, but in reverse. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Like liquid sandpaper. Oh, uh, and, it has and like so after, minerals and stuff in it, right? Yeah. Which it's the got, kidneys it's got designed to like fil- filter out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm losing blood. The blood's not supposed to, it's in the place that blood's not supposed to be. The urethra is not designed to manage blood. It, it's irritating everything. I'm ble- essentially bleeding out through my penis. Oh God! Uh, oh, and God. you know, and so at this point, I had a, then the the um, they did find a mass in my kidney through imaging, um, but the the what's it called again? The biopsy. Uh, biopsy. But the biopsy was inconclusive. Okay. Um, and as a result. Um, they needed to go in to find out what was going on. So this was a general, general surgery. Um, and they, you know, cut me open. Well, the surgery was scheduled for Thursday, but I, the 
my nephrologist was able to negotiate with another patient. Basically, I was sicker than this person, and this person was willing to push back their surgery so that I could be seen sooner, e- even 24 hours sooner. Oh, um, wow. So God bless them. How, yeah, um, whomever they are, um, yeah. Yeah, wherever they may be. So I was um, under the knife on Wednesday. They cut a 10-inch incision on my right side. Um, let's see. If you were to follow your belly button directly to the right, it's about seven or the incision starts about seven or eight inches directly to the right. Yep. And it continues the circumference of your body, right? All the way to like, um, what, like it's not your side, but it begins to be like your back. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they cut me wide open wow. and they really didn't know exactly what they were going to find, but they were hoping to, to save um, as much of the kidney. They were hoping to save the kidney and not have to take the whole thing out. Yeah. What they found was a massive cyst. So I don't have polycystic kidney disease, but what they found was a fluke, enormous cyst on the surface of the kidney, fortunately. And what they did was they removed the cyst and then closed the kidney. Um, You know, if you think about a a ball with a smaller ball on the outside with with a bubble, right? And they took a bubble out and then they... They closed it up. Yeah. Um, so they took out about 20% of my right side. So that's a what's called a partial nephrecto- uh, nephrectomy. Mm-hmm. Nephrectomy, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they, they sewed me back up. And it, and um, and so that, that was all well and good. Wow. Um, and- the kicker, the kicker in that period, if I, if I can be so, if I can be honest with you, was an episode where... Um, you know, it was major internal abdominal surgery. Yeah. And so apparently I w- had been bleeding into my bladder. Oh. Um, and at some point I passed a blood clot the size of a softball. Oh my God. <laughs> through your um, penis? Yeah. Yep. How do yes, you not I notice did. something like that? Well, I mean, I think it was coming like... Wait, I mean, what do you mean not notice? It was the most excruciating, painful experience of my whole life. But it, not- Wait, this happened after the surgery? <laughs> this happened after the surgery when oh I'm God. in the hospital. And, oh. you know, because I was then I started urinating normally. Um, and, you know, a, a few blood clots would come out here, here and there. You know, the type of blood clots that one would expect to see, you know, in a typical menstrual cycle. Right. So when you're when you're you know, not the bleeding part, but you know, the, the, the blood yeah. clots that, that, that folks might have. So it was like that experience. Yeah. Um, and at some point I'm urinating into the, the, uh, the little bucket you get a little tub or whatever yeah. it was. And then I felt something on the inside of my body, like come up against the, the beginning of my urethra. Okay. Like, thunk, yeah. Like, oh my like, God. Thunk, and then, and then, you know, like the instinct is just to push. Stomping Jen is covering her face. It's Keep like, going. It's like you gave birth. Like <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was the size of a baby's head. Oh my god, that's exactly right. And so, uh, and so, I, I, um, you know, the instinct was to push, and I yeah. pushed, and nothing would come out. Um, and you know, it was a painful, like pushing thing. Yeah. Um, and then at some point. Um, 
it started to come out and I thought it was blood. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, Oh, you know, shit, I'm bleeding again. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm peeing into the, um, into the little bucket thing. And as I'm going, um, what's happening is that, that it's like, like, you know, like when you have some jello yeah, (laughs) and you, you take the jello from like, you know, a round mold and you're like mm-hmm. trying to put it on a plate. Yeah. And then like you put it on the plate and it like retains the shape. Yes. You know, like Terminator style, like Terminator two yep. style. Well, this thing comes out of my body and like recoagulates and it's now, now this jelly in the tub. Oh my and it's, God. Yeah. And it's the size of a softball. Oh my God. Oh my god, that is the most <laughs> horrifying thing I've ever heard. Did you call the doctor like immediately? It's like, look what yeah, I just so, gave birth to. <laughs> so, so um, I asked my, you know, I was screaming, right? And I asked, I didn't ask, I like, I was just screaming. Yeah. My wife goes out to get the doctor, and the, and I don't remember if it was the doctor or the nurse who saw it first, but because she was holding it, like she then. So I start screaming. She comes in the room, right? Yeah. And then sees the tub with this coagulate, you know, the size of a baby's head. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. And then she's like looking at it, like her eye, like her jaw drops. Her eyes are like enormous. And I'm like, get the fucking doctor. <laughs> oh my God. So she's like, oh, oh, yeah. oh. She like breaks out of this trance. You were in a state of trauma obviously me i'm like a mess i'm traumatized hearing about this yeah so i'm like now it's a it's weird i imagine this is how childbirth is like you go through it and you're in excruciating pain and then at the other end you're just grateful to be alive (laughs) (laughs) yeah stomping jen you're the only one here right now who can um verify the comparison yeah like comparatively the way you feel afterward feels like a million bucks, but you're yeah. still like from normal, you're a mess. Holy so, shit. That just happened yeah, to me. Exactly. So she runs out of the, out, out the door and she has the tub in her hand and she walks back in with the nurse and the nurse has never seen anything like that. And you don't want to be the guy who produces something that this medical professional at, you know, a top tier hospital in the Boston area yeah. has never seen before that's just unreasonable um so so that's so that that's what happened in in uh, in 2012 wow that was my experience that is amazing and i'm i'm actually like fascinated from a medical perspective i think i've mentioned it on the podcast before i was a medical writer for 11 years so and i i actually wrote about the kidney um and th- that is just fascinating to me so fast yeah. so fast forward you mentioned i think like a year or so ago you had an, an episode that required you to get this thing called dialysis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about um, what, what dialysis um, is? Yeah. So um, dialysis is the process by which um, your blood exits your body and I can get into some detail as what, 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 what um well there's two two forms of dialysis there's there's peritoneal dialysis and there's hemodialysis uh in peritoneal dialysis 
you have some entry points surgically installed into this into your into your skin um, with what I guess are tubes that go into your peritoneum parit something. Yeah. Uh, hold on, let me find it. Peritoneal dialysis. I want to get the, the word right. Yeah. So it uses the peritoneum in a person's abdomen as the membrane through which fluid and dissolved substances are exchanged with the blood. So your body is filled with this liquid in the peritoneum. It's like, I don't know, some, it's a cavity in your body. Um, and the blood, uh, the blood then goes around the peritoneum and through osmosis or whatever, through magic, the impurities in the blood gets absorbed by this liquid. And then, hey, I guess you can do this at night. The next day, um, this liquid needs to be taken out of your body. Oh my God. So it uses you as kind of your own filter in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. now you're putting like, I don't know enough about this, but like I, what I imagine is like a liter and a half of this fluid goes in your body and then you have to take it out every day. Um, sounds and there's horrible. Well, when you, when you, yeah, when you talk about dialysis, um, this becomes normal very quickly. Um, in my case, I was undergoing a process called hemodialysis um, hemodialysis um, is the process by which instead of you using your own peritoneum, you, your blood is taken out of your body. It goes through a machine that has a particular special filter and um, some special liquids that, that um, extract the impurities and flu flu extra fluids from your blood called dialysate. And then the the cleaner blood gets then returned to your body. Um, and a typical treatment can be anywhere from two to four or five hours. Um, and usually if you're doing it in the clinic, it'll be three times a week. And if you're doing it at home, um, if you're lucky enough to do it at home, it's then four hours a week uh, because it's a, it's a it's sort of a gentler process, but which then requires one additional day, one additional treatment per week. Now, at the at the point you realized you needed to get the um, hemodialysis in a dialysis center, mm -hmm. you I'm, you said you I think you said you, there was like an episode. Did something happen? Did you like faint? Did like something happen and you recognized that it was time for you to have to go get this dialysis? No, I just felt like shit. Okay. I was I had been cramping for months and not just like a little shin splints these are brutal excruciating cramps uh, because your 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 kidneys are no longer um getting rid of any any impurities including um uric acid and what's the other acid that accumulates in in blood and gives you cramps i want to say like citric acid but that's not oh, it um Oh, what is that shit called? Lactic acid. Lactic acid. Yeah. So imagine, you know, doing some plyometrics for hours. Or just like pumping iron like I do for just five for hours iron. a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're, you know, any one of your, like the most random muscles will just go off. Uh, and it's like your muscle is a twitch away from like seizing completely. 
not just a little bit, but completely yeah. major muscles like calf muscles, quad muscles, your, you know, your glutes, muscles in your rib cage. Like you go to wipe your ass and, and like you get stuck twisting. You know what I mean? You have to like, oh, you have to force yourself the other direction just to release that, um, that muscle that's in your ribs that you never knew you had. Oh my God. So those were kind of the symptoms that I was experiencing. Yeah. Um, and so when, by the time I went to, um, went to the hospital for a consult, uh, they were like, dude, you, you need to be on dialysis yeah. immediately. And so I went to the emergency room that was like, on, again, on a Friday. Interesting. These two things in 2012 and in 2019 were both on Friday. Um, so by Wednesday of the following week, I had um, gone through a procedure called a, um, I don't know what it's called, but they put an access, it's, uh, they installed a central venous catheter in my chest plate. Wow. Which is... Um, and you needed that, did a, you need that when you were going to the dialysis center? Yeah. So there's two ways by which, again, hemodialysis, you have to take the blood out. Yeah. So the blood has to come out from somewhere. And so in my case, because it was an emergency procedure, they went in through the chest. They, it's a tube that goes in into a hole in your skin that goes under the skin. And you, like, you can see it under your skin going up into your neck. And then through your neck goes into your jugular. Oh, my God. And then that goes down, like, close to your heart. Um, and that's that gets installed semi quasi permanently, um, so and so that's it? where they. I don't. It? I don't. On, on the weekend that I um, was transplanted, I was a transplanted on a Thursday. By that Sunday, they had taken out my CVC, my my catheter, or Kathy, as my kids ended up calling her. Hmm. Um, so I'm really yeah. curious about these dialysis centers. Is it? Um, like describe one to us. What are they? What are they like? So you typically walk in. There's sort of a waiting room area. Um, all the people that are walking in and out are either really sick-looking elderly people, or people who transport really sick older people, um, and 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 these are like ambulance personnel that will go pick up pick someone up at the elderly home or at their home transport them to the clinic and uh, bring them back at the end um, and they're very familiar with the patients because patients are often on dialysis for many years um, just waiting on the transplant list yeah. and we can get into transplant listing later yeah. but um, once you walk into this entry place you go to the sort of a sealed door and you ring the doorbell and they sort of buzz you in. You walk in, they greet you. And what you see is a big open space. I would estimate about 10 foot ceilings, um, 20 foot across, 60 feet in length. Uh, there's typically a, a, you know, like a admin desk in the middle so that they can observe everything. That's the head nurse will be there. The head person in charge, I guess, will be there. Um, and then uh, lots of activity uh, because you, they typically do um, treat patients in shifts. So as you walk in for your shift, 
everybody is be is being either taken off or put back on or whatever. So there's a lot of commotion. Um, and so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's not a private type of experience. It's something that they try to do kind of at scale. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you don't get a nice little room and you're not, you know, dialysis centers are, are pretty depressing places. Um, and we make the best of it. I'm not trying to paint a, you know, a negative picture that I think everybody does, does their best. And there's community in there because folks know each other for years because they go to the same, you know, yeah. um, dialysis center. Um, and, you know, and so you've got these older folks just, you know, this is this, for many people. This is the the only social interaction that they get in, in that week. Were you were you seen as a unique personality or person there because you were younger, like probably half the age of the average yeah, person there? Yeah. So so the folks that worked with me would would constantly tell me, "Look, you, uh, you don't belong here. You know, you should be you should be either dialyzing at home, or you're going to get a kidney in no time." And as much as I appreciated that, it's just seemed, you know, you're at a place where you're feeling kind of hopeless and vulnerable. Um, and, and so, you know, like, yeah, like what, what, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got to plug in for, for four and a half hours. Yeah. What are you, what are you talking about? And, uh, and that's probably on top of any travel you have to do to a place like that. Right. I mean, they don't have them right down the street. In most cases, no, and and the heartache that the heartache that you experienced prior to that. So let's say that in my case, it was a four-hour treatment. Um, it takes about thirty minutes for them to plug you in. Between the time you walk into that second door and they get through whoever is in front of you, they get to you. They do the whole. They they clean your central venous catheter. They, um, you know, they run fluids through it to like clean out the fluids and there's a whole process involved with that. Um, that I eventually did myself. Like I used to do my own blood draws through my, my catheter, um, when I did it at home, but, um, I, I lost my train of thought. What question was I answering? Yeah, just how long you had to, um, how long you had to travel to the right. center. Like I imagine that would be a, a an additional burden on your time. Yeah. So again, it's four hour treatment, half an hour before, half an hour after. So that's already five, five hours. hours. Yeah. I live half an hour away from the treatment center, so that's another six hour. Hours. That's six hours. So that's plus. like a whole day. Plus, yeah. you know, you're you're hanging out with your spouse and your children. And you know that this shit's going to happen in an hour and you're like, what sucks, you know? And so you like, you're either crying or, you know, you're fretting, you're, you're, you know, there's this impending sense of doom of like going back to a place that's frankly really depressing. You know what I mean? Cause as, 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 um, as, yeah, you know, I, I have a younger body and I was able to tolerate this stuff. People are, you know, again, it's an open space with like little pods um, with no, with chairs and the dialysis machine, chair, dialysis machine, chair, dialysis machine, chair, to, you know, with some space in between, but everything's open. So if someone's like bleeding and they're, you know, from their, um, their access or their, what's it called? I'll, I'll find the name. It's an implant. They, they, um, the other way, 
just to close that loop. One is to access your blood. One is the catheter. The other is a fistula. A fistula is when they reroute a deeper vein or I think artery, one of the two, from deeper in your arm to, uh, to the surface of your skin. So they reroute an artery okay. or vein uh, to a smaller one on the surface of your skin, which ultimately gets engorged. And then you have this very large, um, it looks like you have a snake under your skin. Oh my God. And then they access the blood by piercing that um, with these enormous needles, <sighs> one on one side, one on the other side, an, an access and a return. Um, and, and so, so over, yeah, huh? I was just saying, sometimes these things start spouting blood. It sounds totally, like. yeah, yeah, because at the end of the treatment, you pull it out and you hold it to like seal it up, and you're there for 15 minutes holding it, and then you you move the wrong way, or you're you know 85 years old and you have like wax paper for skin, and oh, and God. you all and and your blood is the same temperature as your skin, so if you're bleeding, you don't feel it until it's like pouring down your arm and your chair yeah. and, and you're like sitting there attached to a machine, completely helpless, helpless watching this elderly person bleed out. You, oh you know what God. I mean? Yeah. Um, or this other person throwing up in their chair attached to the machine. How long did you have to go to a center? I had to go for six or seven months from June to January. God. And that's a relatively short, I, I have, I have to admit, and I have to say that um, I got a transplant in record time. One year is nothing to wait on a transplant list. It's absolutely nothing for my blood type. It would have been five to seven years to wait for a cadaver to appear. Um, so basically I'd have to wait for someone to die with my blood type and tissue type Um uh, to then to then receive a kidney. Other blood types, more common blood types, um, you have to wait two, three, four years. But mine, because I had O-positive o blood, O-positive can, can donate a kidney to anyone, but I have to receive a kidney from another O-positive person. Um, Jeez. And so, so it's, at yeah. some point you were able, um, and, and that's amazing, and we'll ask you about the transplant um, yep. shortly, but at some point you were able to transition to dialyzing at home. That's right. So I went through um, a three-week process in clinic in, in, um, in Springfield, and they taught me how to do the process, how to, how to use the machine, um, how to create my own dialysate, um, how to maintain my catheter, Again, I had to then clean the catheter. You know, there's certain chemicals that you leave in the catheter um, so that it won't won't um, gunk up with blood. How to pull that shit out, mm -hmm. rinse it out, draw your all the things, um, all the things. So, like, you end up doing stuff to your body that 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 people aren't supposed. Like, you're not programmed for this. Even though it's all, I mean, even though you have to do all of that stuff, I, I would imagine it's some, it is qualitatively um, and even objectively probably better to be doing it in your own home with your family members there, like with you. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So in my case, um, you know, I was able to sit there, uh, watch TV, play video games with my kids, you know, participate in a limited capacity and just be there. You know, um, I have a three-year-old son. So for the last, for a third of his life, I've been on dialysis, you know? Yeah. Um, so for the six, first, first six months, I was in and out of the house. But for the second six or seven months, I, I was present and able to sit with him and, and hang out and, and do all those things. So, um, so yeah, qualitatively enormous difference. Yeah. And you meant, you mentioned, you mentioned your wife and your kids and, um, you know, I think it's important to recognize that this, you know, this has a big impact, um, a collateral impact on your family members, not just you as the, um, person having to invest all of this time. Well, I would, I would elevate it from collateral to like to, to co-principal uh, because on, on a number of fronts. First is, you know, your spouse is suffering with you, right? Your, your spouse is suffering, you, your condition, they're suffering in your absence. They are um, being the principal parent in your absence, they are managing a house in your absence and working full time, by the way, because my, my wife isn't, doesn't stay at home. She works, you know, she, she has more, more preparation than I do. And, and so, um, you know, she, she, she was, and, and we have a complicated home life, right? So we have one child together and we, we have, um, two, uh, at the time, 12 year olds, um, whom we share with, um, a, 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 a co-parent. Um, and so managing their schedule of coming back and forth and, and negotiating that with the co-parent as copacetic as that relationship is, you know, it's a tremendous burden on, on, um, on both of us first in me is feeling completely absent in certain process, certain, certain aspects of daily life. And second, you know, she, my, my wife had to be, had to, you know, take care of most things, um, you know, and take care of me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we were co-principals in this process. That's a really, um, I think, um, I don't want to say nice way to frame it, but I think an important way to frame it. Stomping Jen, you were going to ask something. Oh, I was going to say, like, the home dialysis, is that available to many people? It sounds like potentially no, like. Yeah, so home dialysis requires a tremendous amount of um, logistics. Uh, On the first part is you're set up for the machine, right? So there's, like if I can briefly describe setup is first you, you turn the machine on, you put this whole cartridge, which includes the, the artificial kidney. It's a sort of the filter and all the, all the uh, tubes and stuff that you need to need for it to run. The second thing is this other machine um, that creates the dialysate, which is the, the fluid that goes through the filter um, that, that, that does the bulk of the work. You need 60 liters of that stuff. And what? That is, yeah. And that's running 
all night long. So the night before you, you put the concentrated dialysate bag in there and that's the machine is plugged into your plumbing, um, both in terms of access and, and drainage. Um, and so overnight, you know, you then have to set that up. Um, in the morning, you test the dialysate with a, you know, like a, almost like you, you test pool water, you put, you plug in this dipstick to make sure it has the right pH or whatever. Yeah. If it, if it doesn't, that's considered a fail and you have to dump out all the dialysate. If you have to dump out all the dialysate, you have to like move 60 liters of premixed dialysate from your Oh, did we lose you? Know, you? Um, yeah. And yeah, sorry, we you cut out really quickly. You have to move sixty liters of dialysate from where to where, like from your base, wherever it is that you have. Okay. Oh, my internet connection is unstable. Hopefully, awesome. Hopefully, it will restabilize. Um, we got the same oh. message. Yeah. Um, so okay, so you have to move it from wherever you're storing it. In your case, it could be in the basement, up a couple of levels, and that's a shit ton yeah. of liquid to move. That's a that's a lot of liquid. Uh, and then you have to set up your um, saline. You know, your small saline bag, and hook that up, and you know, hook up all the connections. And that's just on the machine side. On your person, you need to set up no less. There's like ten syringes that you have to set up, right? Um, having a catheter, um, you have to first, gosh, well, shoot, what was the process? You would, you have to use PPE. So you put on your, your gloves and your mask so that you don't get an infection in that area. Oh, that's right. So you take your catheter. That's again, a hose coming out of a hole in your skin. And then you clean that area, clean the skin all the way around you let that dry, then you cover it with some bandaging. Um, then you get started on the actual, um, the end of the tube. So one tube comes out of your skin that splits into two tubes, almost like, you know, RCA cables, <laughs> like Jesus. from like the 90s. Yeah. So I thought this was it. easy. No, 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 no. It's very complicated. So you, you unscrew the cap of your yeah so the the tube comes out of your chest splits into two each one of those is capped at the end there's a red there's a red side and a blue side before the cap there's a little snapping thing that stops it sort of a clip that's there always so you're constantly dancing between both sides if you're so for example, if you're, if you're starting, you take the cap off with the thing clipped. So nothing pours out. Then you put a, an empty syringe there. You unclip it to open it. You then take the syringe and you pull all of the, um, what's that called? It's a medicine that it's like a blood thinner that people with heart conditions and blood clots take. Like heparin. And, um, heparin. Warfarin, yeah. heparin. Heparin, yeah. yeah. So you take you take out the heparin, um, five milliliters of heparin, <laughs> and then you clip it so no more can come out. You take that, that um, syringe off. You put on the saline syringe. You unclip it. You push your saline all the way in to then flush the line. Then you clip it, and now you're ready to to um 
to to plug into the dialysis machine. I hope I hope all of this is <clears throat> worth it. Like, how do you feel after a treatment? You feel like shit. What you you feel like shit, man. You you feel like um you feel like you've been working out for four hours, but you haven't. It's a strange feeling where you're like you want to be up and about, but you also like you're exhausted. Um, because it's almost like a chemical workout. Oh, that's bullshit, man. I, I would figure, you know, after all of that work, you would at least be feeling great and ready to. No, it's uh, a pretty, it's a pretty, um, difficult process for the body. And so to, to, to stomping Jen's point, no, it's not for everybody. You need to be able bodied. You need to be able to cognitively track all of these steps, um, which you then do in reverse, um, after the treatment, right. Um, you need to be able to clean out your area, you know, like then negotiate ordering supplies. So my, I have a small, um, pantry that we turned into like a nurse station, um, that had all, all the things. Um, so that I was able to, then you have to like do inventory to make sure that you have the right supplies, the right amount of heparin. Um, there's two heparins, one that you put in at the beginning of treatment, the other that you leave in at the end of treatment. And if you get those mixed up, you can really screw yourself up. Uh, so it's, it's very easily easy to hurt yourself in this process. Mm. Um, but they would, they would keep telling me that I was a great candidate uh, for home dialysis. And, you know, now I realize why it's because I'm able-bodied, I'm a smart guy. I can follow all these steps and, and, uh, and track my own care and self-advocate, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I have people at home, you know, I have a partner who's home and, and can keep an eye on me, you know, and, and I'm well resourced, you know, I'm not, right. I don't live in a home, you know, like all those things. Did, did you reclaim some of that time that you, you had lost? Like we had talked about, it took about six hours previously. So, but it still sounds like a work intensive um, amount of time that you needed to spend on this stuff. Yeah. So it's, it was, uh, you know, it was between, you know, five and six hours. So it was still in the same amount of time, but the difference was you were with your family. That's right. In this case, in my case, um, as I mentioned before, when you're in clinic is a much more acidic process, if I can describe it that way, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the at home treatment is, is a little more gentle. Sorry, I'm closing these windows here. It's a little more gentle, but, um, but it, you do have to add another treatment to the week. So my schedule was Tuesday, Thursday, um, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Jeez. Tuesday, now, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Every week. Yeah, that I, I, I am overwhelmed hearing about how much all of that involved. I can't imagine having to experience it. it, it at some point, you were lucky enough to begin the kidney transplant process, right? Yeah, so let me, let me before I get to that, let me add another layer of complexity to the issue. Sure. Um, at some point I started working full time while on dialysis, right? So, so not only did I have to negotiate 
my treatment, but I was working during my treatment remotely. Um, I was, you know, and so, you know, uh, it wasn't just four hours of me just hanging out. It was just, or playing video games or hanging out with kids. It was me fielding, you know, Skype calls or teams calls or me, you know, do working on creating a, you know, an online course for whatever, you know, and and stuff that required like meticulous attention. Um, and, and I just didn't have the bandwidth to, to do as, as good a job as as I was able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, so now I'm, I'm providing for my family or, you know, co-providing for my family while on dialysis. Um, so that sucked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, ultimately, um, at some point, you know, I, I get a phone call, um, on like a Friday afternoon. Again, on a Friday. Yeah, it's the Fridays. And, um, and the person on the other line says, Hey, it's Laura. Now this is by my transplant coordinator. She says, I have great news for you. We have, we, we found a donor. Now, again, Friday is my dialysis day, right? For those of you who have been keeping track, I'm on dialysis, taking a short nap on the couch when she calls me. Uh, and so when she wakes me up and I answer the line, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. <laughs> so I had like a non-response. That's good. That's great. But like not feeling it, right. you know, not like and I asked, impacting, like it wasn't yeah, entering like, into your like, brain what that meant. Not at all. It was like, not at all. And so I asked who the donor was and she like, you know, it was this random name. And I'm like, I don't know this person. What are you talking? Like, so then I'm like, this must be a mistake. Um, and it wasn't until my wife heard the name that she pieced two and two together and we realized that this was someone who was the spouse of a woman that my wife had met through church. Mm-hmm. And so that then, that's another sort of interesting story right there. Cause what ended up happening was that my wife had reached out to this, to the pastor of our church and the pastor had, you know, made an announcement to the community that this was, this was happening. Now this was like months and months and months ago, right? Yeah. Maybe even like last year, June, July, August, who knows when this, when this announcement was made to the broader congregation, but it just so happened that there was an individual in the audience who two days prior or the day before had been watching a documentary on transplants. Huh? And so this person was sitting in the congregation, go to church, you know, every Sunday, they go once in a while. And this was the time that they were there. Wow. Now this, the only reason that I know this is because he explained this to me through an email when he, when he got in touch with me after that phone call from Laura. Um, And essentially he told me that, that he felt like, it was too much of a coincidence. He felt like he had been called, like this was his calling, you know, that, that, that God had, had um, put this in front of him as an opportunity. Um, And he was, he's the son of a pastor. And so, Mm. you know, it is, 
takes this shit very seriously, you know? Yeah. I mean, it makes you, um, you know, I, and I'm, I'm not a person who is uh, normally religiously inclined, but those, those are some, those are some pretty um, interesting coincidences. Yeah. 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 So, makes you so, think. um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a spiritual person. I wouldn't say that I'm deeply religious, although, yeah. you know, we do, we do practice uh, somewhere in the Christian, if I could call it diaspora or, you know, spectra of, of, of faith, we're somewhere there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to hear his story, he essentially wasn't saying, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm not looking for anything. All I want is for you to let me do this. Wow. I, I feel called to do this. I would like your permission for me, for me to do this. And, and he described his process. He said, look, at the beginning, once I decided I, I, I wanted to move forward with testing, um, by the way, testing involves very invasive procedures like a colonoscopy various blood tests, tissue sampling, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and if you've ever had a, if you've never had a colonoscopy, you know, it, you know, they, they, it's, they put a camera up your butt. Yeah. Yep. I've had one. <laughs> yeah. For those viewers or those listeners that, that don't know what it is, you, you don't want to know. Yeah. They look, they oscopy into your colon. They look up your butt. <laughs> Yeah, they put a camcorder right yeah. up, right yeah. up your ass. But you don't know anything's right. happening. So yeah, no, it, they, they they put you out, but it's still it's my GoPro and and that's it. Were you ever were you ever scared that the person might change their mind? I was terrified about the procedure, and I was terrified that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, not but just it, scared, but terrified. It, it, but it's and but it sounds like based on what you just told us that um. This um, incredibly generous individual had gone through their own process and was, you know, really committed to doing this for the reasons you described. That that is something else. That well, puts he, like another level on uh, pay it forward. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I just bought somebody a Starbucks today. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've done my part. <laughs> Jeez. So I, I wanted to ask you um, about kind of the logistics of the surgery. So you you know you went through the the search process, you found a donor, and um, how does the actual surgery work? You have these two human beings. One has a kidney to give up, and one mm-hmm. needs it. Like, yep. How did that work? So um, it's sort of Mad Max style. Two men enter, one man leaves. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> But really, it's it's that simple. You have yeah. two surgical teams. Uh, he goes in ahead. They start the extraction process and they the removal process, which is, um, I almost said periscope. What's that surgical process that involves a camera Lapar-scopy? and like laparoscopic? Thank you, Stan. Jen, what? the medical Clutch. terminology. Yeah, no so things. much for a. So much for Sorry. a writing career in medicine. Listen. I'm giving I'm giving you this. Listen, I know things. You do. I know you don't think I know things, but no, I No, I know you know things. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. All, All right. right. So um, they do a laparoscopy. 
Yeah, so they they do it lepric. They remove the kidney lepric laparoscopically. That is, um, they can get they can get a kidney out of a small hole like that. I I imagine I imagine that because the kidney is so vascularized, yeah, that once you cut the blood supply, that thing can collapse to nothing. Oh, could you know it what I mean? Deflates? Like, is that what you I saying? I imagine? Like you'd think. You know, it sort of deflates. If you're using a little vacuum, you suck up the, the residual blood. You know, like, you know, it's super vascularized. It's like your lungs at full capacity. Empty it, and now it's just a floppy pancake. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, okay, so they, you know, they, get, they get that thing out laparoscopically. Yeah, so they, they cut him open first, then they bring me in. Okay. Are you uh, in the same room? No. To, I would imagine... Uh, a room in the general vicinity. Okay. Um, so then I don't know how they bring the kidney, although there's all kinds of comical ways that we imagine that they did, yeah. you know, like they put it on the ground and then like roll it on a skateboard. Yeah. Slap shot it. And you know, someone else receives it with like hockey sticks, you know, but, but ultimately they bring the kidney over. They, they open me up. Right. They, they have to open me up. And the, the surgical site is um, on my bikini line. If I were to describe it, um, it's about four inches b- below my navel, like where your gut meets your mound, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when you're, where your gut meets your man mound. <laughs> is that the medical term? Your I mound? think it's just yes. the pubic area. The pubis, I, like I believe, mound. is the medical term. But think, we'll go with M- ma- mound. man mound. <laughs> I think M&M is good. Uh, so where your gut meets your M&M. Uh, so it's four inches below the navel. It starts there. Uh, and then it goes, follows your bikini line or the bottom of your gut uh, to the right and then up, sort of in a smiley face fashion. And it's, ah, shoot, how long is this? You know, it's a good nine inches long, eight inches long. Um, so then you, you get opened up. And it, so a common comment that I hear from folks who are, in, you know, asking about this process is, um, do they do anything with your existing kidneys? Yeah, and I think I asked you about this when we were chatting a while ago about this. Yeah, and they don't do anything to your existing kidneys because they're, it's not like they're diseased and they have to be removed. They're I was, just not working anymore. I was gobsmacked to learn that they did not remove like one of your existing kidneys and then put in the new one where the old one was. Nope, they essentially put it in um, in the listen to this uh, stomping gen, but I'm, what I'm he's trying, about to say, but you just keep talking. <laughs> I think I need to play a drum roll. Wait, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Hold oh on. My God. Hold on. I got to play a drum roll because this, do I have a drum roll? Oh my God. No, no drum roll. Go ahead. <laughs> so they put it in the front of your body underneath your navel, deep into your, um, body cavity, almost nestled above your hip bone you know how your hip bone sort of comes down and has an opening at the bottom mm-hmm. i'm not using the right word it's not it's your hollowed hip bone. out they stuck that kidney in the front of him yeah in the front they, yeah in the front yeah it's like next to his bladder in the front 
Yeah. What they, so but what do they attach it to? Don't they have to attach so, it to the ductwork? Yeah. So they 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 cut through the abdominal muscle. Yeah. They put it behind the abdominal muscle, sort of nested almost towards the back of your body. Um, then they um, connect the arteries and veins coming out of your kidney, which are usually just one and one, but in rare cases you can have multiple or smaller arteries that come out of your kidney that then make this surgery much more complicated. But I think in my case, it was just one vein and one artery, which gets connected to the vein and artery going down your leg. Um, and they prefer to do it on the right side because it's a, a less complicated surgery. Um, but that's the blood supply in return for the kidney is yeah. the, the arteries that go down and veins that go down into your leg. Can you believe this? And then they connect the, the, um, the, you know, the P tubing <laughs> uh, into your bladder so that the urine that gets created gets, gets deposited directly into the bladder. So you have three kidneys. I have three kidneys. His leg has a kidney that pees into his bladder. Well, it's not really my leg. It's still at the very bottom of my uh, uh, abdominal cavity. I, I was abso- I, I was amazed when I heard this. I couldn't believe it. Because how I knew is he was... Sh- Juanma was showing me the scar. And I was like, mm-hmm. why is that by your belly button? Why is it by your mound? <laughs> my man mound. It sounds like we're an ovary, my exist on a woman oh that's an interesting where like where a uterus might be yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and he um (laughs) he peed out a blood (laughs) clot no i'm gonna say i think you are the first man who might well maybe not the first man but well this (laughs) is like you've experienced some things i think there's a larger there's there's a large there's a larger transformation at foot Let's just leave gave, it there. I, I gave birth to a small head <laughs> through a space that's not designed for that. You know, women yeah. would have an advantage because at least their their bodies are designed yes. for that. Yeah, I will, I will and, say and, that. Yes, and mine is not. Mm-hmm. Um, although you know, and then and then I had a reverse cesarean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, so I want to rein it back in. The new kid, the new kidney is in you. They sew you up. Mm-hmm. Um, how long, how long are you in the hospital before you get to go home? Um, they said three days. I think I was there three days. I went in on a th- Thursday, Thursday, 7 a.m. Had my surgery Thursday, Sunday, they took out the catheter. And I think by Monday I was, I was leaving. Wow. Something like that. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That Maybe is a- even Sunday afternoon. I don't I don't know. That is amazing. I don't remember. And did you it was like four days? Did you see the donor when you were in the hospital? Yeah, like were I they did. in the same recovery room as you? And no, they were in the same first of all, the anesthesiologist was not very awesome. It was as it was a weekend anesthesiologist. Uh-oh. And yeah, so this dude like fucked up my uvula and like cut up my my face like my lips is you know? the uh, so, is the uvula part of your penis by any chance no that's a little hangy thing at the at, in the back of your throat oh okay yeah 
All right. So why would why would an anesthesiologist? He's just he's just just messing with you. Keep going. He's just being because he's a weekend. Oh, because they are a weekend anesthesiologist. What's a weekend anesthesiologist? I don't know. He said that he had a bad weekend anesthesiologist. Apparently, yeah, I'm just saying a Boston area one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he's not. But, he's not calling them out. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. He's doing the right uh, thing. No, yeah. I had a I had a great experience, except that my my nephrologist said that whenever you have, you know, someone working on the weekend at the hospital doing major procedures, you might not be getting the A team. That's all. Okay. So, all right. So your uvula got damaged, and you were but you were out of there. You were on your way home by Monday. Yeah, and so um, just to get back to the kidney, as soon yep. as the kidney goes in, it starts producing urine. And can you tell right away that it's working? Yeah, because they put a Foley catheter in in, in my body, which okay. those of you who haven't had the privilege of having a <sighs> so Foley catheter yeah. is they stick a like a tube through um, through your penis, and then they inflate a small balloon that sort of locks it in place get the fuck out of here why and do they that, have to do that to you because um if you're unconscious they don't want you peeing everywhere right so they want to make sure that your urine output can come out okay um and then they measure the urine output oh so um the first time that they that they emptied the thing it was like 800 cc's of urine which is a tremendous amount of urine Right. So this thing has been like hyperactive since then. Every time I, every time I sleep, you know, I've had to measure my urine output just to make sure that, you know, I'm not, that it's not, that it's, that it's not, not working. Right. right. So if, yep. it's, if it's not, if it's producing less and less and less, there's a problem. But in my case, every night I void about one and a half liters of, of fluid mm-hmm. of urine. Is that, well mul- is that day. multiple evening trips? Yeah, that's like three trips in the middle of the night. Uh, Sawtooth, you had asked him if he saw the Oh, right, yeah, in the, in the hospital, yeah. We did. We were on the same floor. We were okay. on the transplant floor, which, by the way, um, the transplant floor has kidney transplants. It has, like, single and double lung transplants. Oh, my God. It has heart transplants, pancreatic transplants, liver transplants, God. popping organs left and right. But I did run into this guy. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to recognize him out of a lineup at this point. Like, I, we, we were acquaintances, you know? Yeah. And um, we had exchanged emails, and, you know, I basically tried to give him his space leading up to the the surgery. You know, we exchanged some lovely emails. And then at some point, you know, I said, I want to make sure that you have all the space in the world to make the decision that's right for your family. If you choose to back out, it's, it's completely understandable. And he could back out the morning of. He could be on the operating room and they're about to put him under. And, and he, he could, says, nope, yep. I'm not doing this. Yeah. And that's where it ends. Um, But he didn't. And so I'm like, you know, and you're freshly cut and within hours, they want you to stand up and move around. Yeah. And, you know, you're in pain and you're sort of out of it. And, 
And so I'm like hobbling around and then I see this guy and then he, everyone's wearing masks because of COVID. Right. And this guy like points at me with both hands and I just start crying and I come over and I give him a big hug and, and I tell everybody that this guy saved my life and that's legitimately how I feel. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we had Jen's a few tearing up. <laughs> we had a, you know, we had a few opportunities to have some chats in the middle of the night. If you've had any surgeries, you know, yeah. you, you're up at two and up at four and up mm-hmm. at, you know, you lose track of, wow. of all of that. Um, so we've been, we've been able to spend some time together in the hospital, but um, we haven't seen each other since. So I think we're due to, to get together, get the families together and, yeah, and uh, you know, share a meal it, at this point. Did you, um, did you pee less when you were having the kidney issues? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so is it weird now to pee a lot more? I mean, it is. You know, I, I, yeah. uh, I gotta be honest with you. It's like, I'm, I feel like I'm peeing all the time. You know, my body's not used to that. Yeah. Um, so over time, the longer you're on dialysis, and again, this depends on what your prognosis is. But in my case, the longer I was on dialysis, the less and less I would pee, but I'd still pee, which means that my kidneys are still removing fluids from my, from my right. blood. They're, They're still filtering yeah. anything else. Yeah. So I have th- one very healthy kidney and two, you know, kidneys on the way out, but all of them are removing fluids. So I have to like drink the minimum I have to drink in a day is um, two liters. Yeah. My brother, who's a doctor, would always say to me, it's not the quantity of urine, it's the quality of your urine mm-hmm. that they're concerned with. Um, mm-hmm. It was. I, I always wanted to ask that, though, just if that was if that was something you experienced. So, do you have to take medicine now, like on an ongoing basis? So, yes, for the rest of my life, I've, I'm on immunosuppressants. I'm on two immunosuppressants. I take um, seventeen of one uh, over the course of the day, and I take eight of another. Oh my god. Um, so I take uh, nine in the morning. Let me do the math. That's yeah. uh, 26. 25. 25. Yeah. yeah, keep going because there's more. Oh, yeah. So I have eight. I have nine in the morning of one and four of the other. And that's in the morning. In the evening, I take eight of one. Shit, I forgot to take it. I got to go take it. But eight of one and then four of the other. On top of that, I take... An antibiotic, which is um, two pills, and an antiviral, which is one pill. Okay. So add three. 28. Then on top of that, I take uh, two phosphorus pills in the morning and two at night. So add four more. Phosphorus. Suffering succotash. Phosphorus. Yeah. And then on top of that, I take a mood stabilizer. That's an extra pill. 30, is that somehow related to the <laughs> kidney? No, that's that that helps you not have no. panic attacks. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just curious if it I'm curious if it's related in some way no, to having no. like a new organ in your body. No, that, no, no. Yeah, it okay. just helps get through it. Okay. Uh, so you just I just take, for being a human being, you have to Yeah, take exactly. That. Got it. Someone with with actual feelings. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know what unlike, that's like. Un, unlike a certain friend of ours who's a robot. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I also then take. <laughs> I also take uh, prednisone, which interferes with uh, the body's swelling mm-hmm. response, um, but is a steroid. So I'm like, I'm like breaking out like a teenager mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it. Wow. Oh, wait, no. There's one more. Those uh, omeprazole, which is um, it's like Pepsid or something. Oh, it's anti-ulcer. Yeah. Anti-ulcer. Anti-ulcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take one of those. Wow. Oh, oh, and by the way, I take one for um, my prostate. Oh. Because I have, I'm having prostate issues. Interesting. Anything um, related to this um, passing a softball through your penis? You have to take anything for that. No, there's no penis softball medicines for that. Okay, just checking. Um, just out of curiosity, what was the total on that? I, oh, I lost at, count because you I said stopped, these things, but you didn't say how many pills they were. I stopped counting at 71. It was like 36 or 37. <laughs> All right, now do you have... at 105. Okay, so, I mean, that that's, that's a not, lot of pills. That's a lot of pills. Um, yeah, I down it in one, one swallow Jeez. with water. I'm just used to it. Um, now do you have to make any lifestyle changes after getting a, um, kidney transplant? So it's sort of the reverse, um, while on the declining kidney health, you have to be very careful of your intake. So particularly your sodium intake. So I've been on like a low sodium diet for a decade or plus. Um, I don't eat McDonald's, don't eat fast food. Um, let's see. And it's not just table salt. We're not talking about table salt. That's a huge, right. dis- huge distinction. Yeah. We're talking about the sodium that's in the food already. Yeah. So something like American cheese has 300 milligrams of sodium. Fucking versus, American cheese is garbage. Yeah, versus, versus, um, you know, a nice slice of, um, cheddar, which has a hundred and yeah. 50. Yep. Or if you're really going hardcore, you can have um, Swiss cheese that can be anywhere from 40 to 60. That's not Swiss so bad. No, it's not. Um, then bread, we buy breads with 180 or 160 milligrams per slice okay. or less. Yep. So you got to um, watch the sodium because that yeah, makes yeah, yeah. the kidney work harder, right? Yeah. And it raises your blood pressure. Which oh, right. Increases the... It, yeah. the the pressure in the kidney right you want to take care of the new kidney so you don't want to you don't want to... no no so this, this was, is before oh this is before, this before. okay right okay. so Got since it. the new kidney yep. and you have to be careful pre-kidney you have to be careful about your phosphorus and your potassium intake now with the new kidney it's the opposite i have to take phosphorus and eat things with Stop. potassium in them banana exactly he eats a bananas lot of bananas oranges. The one thing I'm forbidden to eat ever um, is uh, don't say ice cream. Grapefruit. Grapefruit. Oh, it has like an enzyme in it that interferes yes, it with uh, medications. That's right, and and a lesser known fruit that has the same enzyme but a little less is limes. If you do some research. Oh, oh that's no! Sad. You know, You're you from the Caribbean. Now you can't put uh, the yeah. lime in the coconut anymore. Yeah, I can't. I can't drink them all both up. I'll have to call the doctor. <laughs> oh, that stinks. Uh-huh. 
So, so that's the, that's the, that's the only thing. The other thing okay. I can't eat is raw fish. No sushi. So sushi is out of the question and unpasteurized cheese or unpasteurized uh, products. Oh, you're so like, no, like you're a pregnant woman. Exactly. <laughs> he can't change the litter boxes either. No, that's right. That's exactly right. Oh. He is. He's like a pregnant woman. I'm telling you that blood clot <laughs> prepared him. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. I don't mm-hmm. mean to make light of your blood. <laughs> um, wow. So I, what I'm hearing um, is that you know um, this is something something you're you know even though you've got the the new kidney by the the blessing and grace of this um, amazing human being, you still got some work to do on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, kind of at a very high level, you know, I, I think, I think we've heard a lot about this experience, but what, what would you want people to know, um, you know, who, who have listened to this and maybe something you haven't touched on, maybe something else about, um, what do you want people to understand about what it was like to go through this experience? Well, I think there's, um, you know, my, my experience is unique. I think people, uh, people on on dialysis and who have end stage renal disease or are living with declining kidney function, um, their their journeys, their narratives, their stories will all be different. But the thing that remains the same is is a couple of things, and I have um, the kidney.org uh, website up right now, and I just want to just run off a couple of statistics, if I may. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that one in three Americans are at risk for kidney disease that 37 million people in the U.S. have chronic kidney disease, um, that uh, 660,000 people live with kidney failure, and 100,000 people are waiting for a kidney transplant. So if at the bare minimum, if your audience would um, just entertain the thought of becoming a donor, even even just to put it on their license, you know, just to become a donor after, after, after life, you know, mm-hmm. that that's something that can, that can be tremendously um, meaningful for someone. If you, you know, if you want to leave, make an impact in, you know, if you're alive and well, and you're going to have a long life and, and you feel like, you know, you want to make a difference in, in the world, if you want to, you know, you want to leave a mark that you can, you can sign up to be a donor. You can live a long and fruitful life with one kidney. The, my donor was out of the hospital in two days. Um, you know, the process is one that, that's minimally invasive for the donor and, and can, can save someone's life. Um, to think about being an, a live donor for someone, we call the, those um, uh, kidney heroes. Um, and, and if, if those two options don't appeal to you, then at the very least you can help an organization like, you know, kidney, kidney.org and, and donate, um, if you have the means to donate to that organization or other similar organization that, that you should do that. Um, uh, but any one of those three, um, would, would make a huge difference in the, in the life of someone like myself, you know, just, a yeah. just, a you know, someone who, who, who just got lucky. I got really, really lucky. 
Um, so I, I feel very privileged and honored to have received this gift. And I feel like, you know, I've got this, there's some shit I got to do uh, yeah. in this yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will... I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on borrowed time, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. We all are. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, knowing you for as long as we have, it's like, it just seems like some fucked up, surreal thing that happened. And like you said, like you are, you're superbly lucky that yeah. it happened so quickly. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So now, now that you've, now that you're, um, able to begin clawing back some, um, some normalcy in, in your life, um, um, now that you have this, um, functioning kidney, um, what is it you like to, what is it like, what is it you like to do for fun now that you've got some sounds like a significant amount of time back in your life. How are you spending, how are you spending that? So for every week that I'm not on dialysis, I get a cumulative 24 hours back. Wow. Um, if you do the math, it's yep. about six hours preparing for and undergoing treatment and taking it down at home. So, uh, four treatments per week times six is 24 hours. Um, so, I'm spending a ton of time with my wife, a ton of time with my kids. Right now, I'm short-term. I'm on a short-term disability from my employer. Yep. Again, super privileged and super lucky to have landed this job. At again, I work for a financial services and insurance company, and you know we have great insurance um, and short-term disability. So I'm able to take this time to heal and to recover. Yeah. Um, so what I do for fun is just play with my kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I just, I just spend time with them because, you know, it's, it's been, I calculated for the year that I was on dialysis, I lost 52 days cumulatively, Jesus. right? This 52 weeks times the yeah. 24 hours per week. That's, you know, that's 52 cumulative days hooked up to a machine yeah. that I lost, um, so, you know, I'm still healing and I still can't run or really should, I really shouldn't be picking up my son, even though I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing little things what I can with them. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. and, yeah. You know, God, what a story. I, I love that. Um, we're going to end with the question I ask everybody now, and you can interpret this any way you want. Okay. Um, okay. And I want to I want to do something new with this question, um, a new element I want to add to the podcast, Stomping Jen. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. I'm okay. going to oh, ask the question. Oh. I'm going to ask the question. I'm terrified. What, what have you seen that you cannot explain? Oh come on now, <laughs> a new bumper. It's just this is just. This isn't even a bumper. What have you seen that you cannot explain? You can interpret this any way you want. Except what have I seen music. that I cannot explain? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly spiritual person. Okay. So it's not a far fetched for me to to see something that that doesn't have explanation and just accept, accept it for what it is. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that everything needs to be explained. I think, I think 
you know, most things can be understood in a particular way, whether, whether it's through science or faith. Um, but maybe, maybe it's not about explaining it. Maybe there, it's just about accepting it. And, and, um, and the, the biggest example that I can provide is just not trying to understand what would motivate someone to, to give me a part of their body, right? To, to remove a part of their body and give it to me, you know, to, to help me regain some semblance of, of normalcy. Like you, you yeah. can't explain that shit, right? You know, you can't explain that. You can't, there's no way to quantify that to, you know, to, to reason that there's just, there's yeah. just, you, 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 you just accept it and you express your gratitude and you do something with that, you know, you don't, don't just sit on your ass and yeah. com- continue to do the things that you did, you did before you, you find purpose and you find a greater calling and you move forward. So again, it's not about explaining the unexplainable. It's about accepting, I think, and I just, it, some things aren't, aren't meant to be explained. All right. Well, stomping, uh, that was a beautiful answer. And stomping Jen, we didn't get a ghost story, but yeah, that was a good answer. That's what he was hoping for. <laughs> that was a good answer. I liked it. Or I, a Sasquatch. No, I sighting. liked it. It was a good answer. It was a good answer. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, Juan, Ma, uh, Juan Manuel Ruiz, how, thank you for joining us. Just say Puerto Rico one more time. Please. Puerto Rico. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> um, all, all, all joking aside, and as I, I said to you when we were um, talking prior to this, I knew you had an amazing story to tell, and I really enjoyed talking to you about this. I learned a shit ton, and I think people are going to really enjoy hearing about your journey. I mean... Stomping Jen was crying at points. I, you know, there was there was horror involved. There was laughing. There was, there was laughter. I mean, we 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 cycled through the whole range of emotions here. <laughs> um, so I just I just I have to offer you a heartfelt thank you for coming on and, and sharing with us in such a um, open and honest way. I I, I really hope people um, take something away from this. What do you have to say, Stomping Jen? Thank you. Okay. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you um, to both of you. Yep. Anything anything you want to say in closing before we hit the goodbye music? No. Okay. Covered it. All right. Um, to our listeners, um, thank, you. thank you for listening. We have our 100th episode coming up in just two more shows. I don't so, know. We're trying to plan something special. What are we going to do? I think we're going to bring back some favorites. Awesome. Um, maybe Shivering Jim will make an appearance. Nice. Joshua Michael Stewart. Nerdy Nelly really wants to come back. Nerdy Nelly. She's, she's good. Mr. Um, e. Mr. E is a classic. Will we're the gonna, professor be back? Professor Weasley could make an No, it's Mr. Professor Weasley <laughs> could make an appearance. We, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe some of the small council will return. We just don't know. We're trying to plan it. It's going to be good. So... Look forward to that. Two more episodes. And as always, I want to say to you all how much I appreciate you listening, how much I love you all. Wear a um, mask. And that giving us this opportunity to talk to you. And Stomping Jen, say it again. Wear a mask. Okay. And finally, Stomping Jen. Bye now. Bye now, people. 